Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I am fantastic. Um, I hate that it is September and it is 90 degrees outside, but here we are. Yeah, nope. My polar bear heart is unsatisfied with this. Although we had a day like last week where we woke up and it was like 50 and I was like, this is the best fall day. It was so great. I love that day. I had my windows open. Yeah, no, this, uh, like, fake summer thing before fall is, I guess it's not really fake summer, it is actually real summer, but I'm over it. I'm ready for fall, ready for spooky season, ready for, like, curling up on the couch with blankets and candles and warm tea and watching movies that scare the socks off me. Same. I'm excited. Me too. Hopefully by, <laughs> hopefully by the time this airs, it will not be 90 degrees yes. anymore. Yes. Yeah. No, we are definitely recording this a little bit early, but it is September and it's so warm. <laughs> so I don't really know how to segue into today's episode. So I guess we're just going to get to it. Yeah. Let's jump in. What do you bring to the table this week, Jess? So this week on Myth and Macabre, we will be talking about the Eastern State Penitentiary. So it sounds like a jail. Eastern... It's a penitentiary, which is different. Are you going to tell us how they're different? Yes, I oh, am. Oh, awesome. And then Eastern State, are we talking, we said we're not in New England anymore. Are we talking like Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Ohio? Where is, where are we, I'm so excited. Let's just jump in. I'm so excited. We're going to jump in because my first sentence tells you where This is perfect. <laughs> I can't wait to hear all about it. So, located at 2027 Fairmount Ave in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is an old stone structure originally known as the Cherry Hill State Prison, better known today as the Eastern State Penitenti- Penitentiary. Penitentiary. That's a weird word. It is. A, yeah, it has like an IA. I don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce it or not. I probably should look that up. Penitentiary. Penitentiary. Sounds good to me. I know what you're talking about. Okay, cool. If anybody out there is a stickler for grammar and we're really saying it really wrong, let us know. But I think we're all on the same page. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry if I say it wrong through this entire episode. (laughs) It's a weird word. Let's be honest. All right. But evidently, it's not a jail. It's not a jail. It's a penitentiary. Penitentiary. I'm just going to keep making you say it over and over again. I know. I know. (laughs) Get the sillies out. I know. I definitely have a case of the sillies today. Sorry, everybody. It's fine. It's been a while. So... In 1821, there were four architects that submitted designs for the proposed building. John Haviland, an early American architect who came over from England in 1816, won the bid and received a $100 prize for his design, which everyone knows I love a calculation. Yep, I was waiting for it. I was like, she's going to tell us how much that is in modern money. I am. It's about $2,700 today. Which feels kind of low. Yeah, for like an architectural design. I don't know. Although I don't really know much about architectural designs and how much they expect to go for. I don't either, but I just feel like architects are like... They're like highly paid, I thought. I thought so. I could be wrong. I don't know I could know totally any be wrong. I don't make a lot of money and I don't know any architects, so I have no frame of reference. But... Yes, yeah, so John... Where am I? John Haviland. Yes, he won the bid. He got his $100. He is known for his neoclassical architecture, which is also referred to as classical revival. Some examples of the type of architecture that he's known for is the Pantheon in Paris, St. Anne's Church in Warsaw, Buckingham Palace in London, 
and both the White House and the United States Capitol building in Washington, D.C. So, like, he didn't design all those, but those are the same type of... So these kind of, like, large, sprawling, lots of windows, maybe some pillars, that yeah. kind of type of style. Yep, so that's what he's kind of known for. Okay, cool. So John Haviland won the bid, but one of his design competitors, William Strickland, was chosen to oversee the construction process. That's an interesting way to do that. Well, you didn't win, but you can make sure this winner's stuff gets got like gets done. Exactly. Prison drama before the prison was built. <laughs> so I can really only imagine how William felt about that. Probably not very good. But I wonder if it was like a checks and balances thing, because it kind of reminds me of have you ever seen like the it's like a parenting trick kind of thing where they're like I let one kid divide it in half and the other kid pick which half they get so it like motivates the first kid to cut them as close to actually in half because the other one gets the first choice no but I definitely need to try doing that because my kids fight about everything so it's, it's like like you get it right like I it's kind it. of a way for it to be like well you don't get to sneak extra because they get to pick first so they might pick the one with more mm-hmm. but like i wonder if that was kind of the architectural equivalent of that like mm, that makes sense it like you you got the bid and we're gonna do it your way but we're gonna have somebody else over i mean i don't really know what the benefit there is i don't think anybody's getting cheated out of anything but no i wonder if it's some kind of checks and balances system could be So construction began on Eastern State in 1822, but William was fired shortly thereafter. Mr. Strickland? Yeah, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with the fact that he was bitter about having to oversee a project that he didn't win. I could totally see that being a thing. And trying to, like, pull it in your own direction. Right, yeah, because you're... I don't don't understand the logic behind why they did that, uh, but it was the 1800s and I wasn't there. Uh, (laughs) So I'm not going to speculate on that. (laughs) It was the 1800s and I wasn't there. (laughs) Uh, After William got fired, they handed over the construction oversight to John Haviland, the original bidder, so that he could oversee his own design, which makes far more sense to me. Correct. In fact, I feel like you actually get like free, not free labor because he's not doing labor, but like he's going to make sure it's as close to the thing that he bid because right. it's his design. So, exactly. like, this feels like you're getting something for free a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. that Interesting choices. Yeah. Interesting choices. <laughs> 1800s. So John Haviland's design was, like, a radial floor plan. I'm going to post pictures online because I'm really bad at explaining things, but I'm going to try. But we'll post pictures so that you guys can kind of see what I'm talking about. But think about it like a wagon wheel. So it had like the main entrance that was also served as part of the high walls that surrounded the property. So okay. it was like a building that was attached to the walls and that was like the entrance. Okay. And then you go through the entrance. There was like a corridor that led to a central point where all the cell blocks like radiated out in a circle. Okay, I feel like I can kind of imagine it. And that's kind of what I would have expected when you said it was a radial floor plan. Yeah. There was supposed to be seven single-story cell blocks with that were eight feet wide, 12 feet long, and 10 feet high with a capacity to house about 250 inmates. Each cell was heated by water pipes run, running along the outside of the walls. It had a water tap, a basic flush toilet, vaulted ceilings with a skylight, and an individual exercise yard. Also, a fun side note about this, at this time, the White House did not yet have running water. So the fact that these inmates were getting running water, heat, and, like, 
skylights Skylight. and vaulted I was like, this sounds like a really nice apartment complex. Exactly. I'm going to be honest, which I don't know what that says about the state of things <laughs> in the United States. But I was like, actually, I mean, vaulted ceiling, skylights, free heat, plumbing. This does not sound like the worst. It doesn't. You're right. And to know that at this point it's more luxurious than the White House is a little... That's crazy. <laughs> That's weird to think about. It is weird to think about. The original building plan made it so that the inmates could only enter and exit the cells via a small door out to their exercise yard. And then in the interior, there would be like a wall facing the corridor. So it was just like one of the walls of the room with okay. a small slot for food. So there weren't any like doors into the building. You had to go through your own personal exercise yard when they took you out. So everything was like, go outside to get to things instead of go through the inside. Yeah. I mean, they weren't supposed to be going anywhere because we'll get to it. But essentially, the design of the prison was for solitary confinement. Oh, for all, okay. For all inmates. They eventually had to revise that plan and they didn't end up doing it that way. So they made changes so that the prisoners could be escorted down the cell block halls instead of like their original plan of taking them out through the exercise. So it ended up being kind of a more traditional layout when you kind of think about a prison. Yes. Each cell, instead of that wall that they were going to put there, was given a heavy wooden door. So it was to deter like noise penetration from the hallways. So if there was an inmate being led in the hallway, they didn't want the prisoners in their cells to hear so instead of like in a movie when it's like a steel kind of barred door and you can kind of see and hear and put your hands out and stuff this is supposed to kind of keep that like tamped away yes okay cool so kind of like keep them in their own little world maybe not cool but interesting Um, but they did (laughs) keep the food slots to feed the inmates through the through the slot so they didn't have like a recreational dining hall or anything okay to begin with I have another fun fact. I didn't really know where to put it, so this was like the best place that I could find to fit it. I just thought it was fun and I wanted to share it. So even though the construction didn't begin until 1822, the foundations for the ideas of the institution, I guess. We'll like call literal it. foundations or like the foundations in somebody's mind? No, nope, like the okay. mental foundations. Okay. Were brought up in a 1787 Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisoners meeting which was supposedly held at Benjamin Franklin's house. And this group is still around today, but they now go by the name Pennsylvania Prison Society. No way. Yeah. That, I can understand why you didn't know where to put that fun <laughs> fact, but I'm glad you included it. That's, I never would have even guessed that was like a thing. I didn't, I, right? Especially like in the 1700s, like we cared about prisoners' miseries. And to know that it was around in the 1700s and that it still exists today. And that Ben Franklin like held meetings at his house. I feel like that part was maybe the least surprising yeah. part of that entire fun fact to me, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like back in the day, we just did things at people's houses. True. Very true. I just, I, I thought it was weird that Benjamin Franklin was, I, I don't know why I thought it was weird. Maybe it's that story that I've heard where there were like tons of bodies found in his basement or something. Okay, that sounds like a story for another episode, but we need to touch on that over lunch because I've never heard that. I just hear about like Benjamin Franklin hanging out naked on his balcony yelling at people. Yes, I've heard that. But then I also heard a thing where they found like a ton of bones like in his basement or something. I don't know. We will discuss this in more depth later on. Later. (laughs) Not, sorry, listeners, we probably won't be involved, but I need to know. We don't need to that right now. We, We will continue talking about Eastern State Penitentiary. So as I'm sure that you can figure out from the plan of the layout and the fact that I've already mentioned it. Eastern State Penitentiary was built to focus on inmate isolation. 
the norm for prisoners at the time was to force prisoners to silently work together. So like hard labor where they were all doing the same work, but they had to be silent and like not oh. talk to each other. They just like went to, well, we'll say the fields because I don't actually know what they did. But the norm was for them to be like working in groups, but silently. Interesting. So I'm kind of, I'm sure you're about to get into it like right now, but I think it's really interesting because the way you were kind of talking about the isolation and the layout of this building, I had thought to myself, is this really making things better for the prisoners? But maybe it is, actually. It might be, because physical punishment was also pretty normal for the time. For any prisoners at like a, a standard prison that didn't follow the rules or silently work together, the Eastern State Penitentiary's design and treatment plan for the inmates was revolutionary in the fact that those opening it believed that individual confinement would promote rehabilitation. They believed that people were inherently good and the isolation gave the inmates time to reflect on their crimes, how they affected society, and how they can do better upon release. So it was more about rehabilitation than punishment. Interesting. I don't know enough about psychology to know whether or not that's like an effective way to do things, which I kind of not entirely convinced that maybe it is. I think that... But I think the like the mind space, like the thought process behind it is kind yeah. of an interesting one. And it kind of... Sounds like it's coming from a good place. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought about it, too. I think that, like, solitary confinement or isolation is now used as, like, a punishment more than a rehabilitation. Well, because I think you can't force someone to reflect on the things that they did. Right. So what somebody's going to do while they're sitting alone in a room is really entirely beyond you. Exactly. But I think that, like, the sentiment behind it and this, like, we instead of working these people and not allowing them to speak to each other and just kind of forcing them into this super uncomfortable situation, the thought process behind, well, we'll give them some space to to meditate and reflect. It's like a good idea in theory, but right. like maybe not so much in practice. Right, yeah, I get it. The prison overseers were also supposed to scatter yard time. So like each inmate had their own individual Because well, there were like multiple yards, right? So did they stagger them? So like you'd just be out in the yard by yourself? Well, yeah, so like everybody had their own yard off their cell, which was the yard they were supposed to be able to enter and exit originally. So everybody had their own yard. They would scatter it so that like neighboring cells weren't outside at the same time. Oh, okay. So like you could be outside and then someone like three or four cells down would be outside and then they would But you weren't like close enough to socialize. It was like you're outside by yourself continuing this like isolation. Yeah. They also had like high fences around each yard so that even if you did end up outside at the same time as like your neighbor or someone that was close enough to socialize with, like you kind of didn't really know because there was that large fence there okay um, makes to sense. discourage communication so kind of sad but I, I, I get yeah it. <laughs> i was gonna say like I, I get the intention behind it i'm not sure it's an effective way to go about it but i would be interested to like read more or learn more about the effect about either how it was effective or how very much it wasn't like mm. i think it's it's an interesting thought process to follow yeah no I'm sure there's a lot out there on all of that but I didn't go down that rabbit hole because this rabbit hole uh, yeah understandable we're talking about the history of the prison and stuff I think going into the the psychology of like prison inmate treatment is a whole other thing (laughs) 
Also, another thing that I thought was really cool, in addition to all the amenities that these inmates got, it was required that each inmate received a visit from the overseers three times per day. So whoever was overseeing oh, wow, that's the a lot. ward would have to visit each prisoner three times a day. And the warden was obligated to visit each inmate once per day. In, to what to what effect? I did don't it really say? know. I think it was like, or is that like their, their socialization? Of, yeah, their social socialization, and then also like they were probably talking about like, oh, what did you reflect on today? Like, how yeah, I guess it could con- kind of aid in like rehabilitation. Yeah, but like they weren't just kind of like left in the cell by themselves to like do nothing. They had like mandatory visits with the people that ran the prison. Okay, interesting. So now that we know the plans. We're going to go through the early timeline and some interesting facts, and then I'm going to go back to talk about how reality differed from the plans. Okay. Because as we know, reality is Yeah, so right now we're moving forward with plans still? Yep, so this is the plans that they had for the prison. Great. Or penitentiary. So in April of 1829, the solitary system was officially passed by legislature. A quote from the Eastern State Penitentiary website says... Many leaders believe that crime is the result of environment and that solitude will make the person convicted of a crime regretful and penitent, hence the new word penitentiary. Oh, I never put those two things together. As someone who went to Catholic school for lots of years and like we talked about penance and stuff, never put that together. So that's it's not a prison. It's a penitentiary because the idea behind it is different. Okay, cool, cool. So this whole new imprisonment theory was like the birth of the word penitentiary, which is. I guess that's kind of neat. I don't know. That is kind of neat. I I think it's cool. I thought it was cool. They decided at this time that the inmates would be made to wear masks on the rare occasion that they would need to be out of their cells and in like the block corridors. Are we talking like Hannibal Lecter masks? Like We're getting there. That's what comes to mind. I just want you to know that. I know that's what comes to mind, but no, we're not talking about that. Okay. So... It was to discourage contact with other inmates, obviously, because now they're, even though there's like heavy wooden doors and you can't see the other inmates, they, I guess, don't want you yelling out at doors or something. Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you've been like stuck in a room all day long with like the only people to talk to are the people imprisoning you three times a day, I could see like people sticking their head to like their food slot and trying to yell yeah. out as people walk through or something. So I, I guess I kind of understand the logic. No, I get it. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way, but that does make sense. But anyway, so these masks, they were black hoods, like in the old-timey movies, where, like, a prisoner is hooded before execution. Like when somebody gets kidnapped and stuck in the back of a car and they're not supposed to know where they're going, so somebody just, like, throws a bag over their head kind of thing? Exactly. That's what these masks were. That feels a little inhumane. Okay. A little bit. I, I get the idea behind it, but... Still a little weird. Still a little weird. Back to history. Um, history is a little weird. History is a little weird. On October 25th of 1829, Eastern State Penitentiary officially opened and received its first prisoner. A portion of the first prisoner's booking reads as follows. This is a quote. This is not my words. Please don't come at me. Charles Williams, prisoner number one, burglar, light black skin, five feet, seven inches tall, foot, 11 inches, scar on nose, scar on thigh, broad mouth, black eyes, Farmer by trade, Ken Reed, theft included one $20 watch, one $3 gold seal, a gold key, sentenced to two years confinement with labor, received by Samuel R. Wood, first warden, Eastern State Penitentiary. Hmm. So th- I, that's how they booked prisoners. 
Interesting. Or inmates. I guess we'll call them inmates. That makes more sense. And for anyone that wants a conversion. <laughs> of course. $20 is equivalent to about $657 today. So like it wasn't a Rolex watch. Yeah. Um, but still. Kind of like a petty theft. Pricey. And a $3 gold seal would have been worth just under $100 today. Hmm. So he got two years for that. So he's not like a major criminal. No. No. Interesting. Yeah. But that's just like, I guess, what prison sentences were at the time. Yeah. I mean, I I don't have a great frame of reference. I actually don't even really know a whole lot about prison nowadays. I don't think I really do either. I know I've picked people up from prison. (laughs) But... It's one of those where, like, I guess I could see, okay, you stole some stuff that was kind of expensive, two years in prison. Like, yeah, I can't decide if, because I don't have a frame of reference, I don't know if that's, like, too long or too short. But, like, okay. Yeah. Just so you have, like, I don't have any idea either whether it's too long or too short, but it just gives you an idea. Yeah. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. On April 30th of 1831, Eastern State received its first two female inmates, prisoners numbered 73 and 74. There was a time where this was like a co-ed. Okay. I mean, it sounds like the way it's structured, you could do co-ed and kind of keep them completely, like, because everything's kind of solitary anyway. Mm -hmm. It seems like you could kind of keep them apart pretty easily anyway without, like, intermingling them. Yeah. So that's kind of what they did. So the first two female inmates were Amy Rogers, who was 21, originally from Delaware, and sentenced to three years for manslaughter. That's really all that we know about her. Yeah, that's... Okay. And Henrietta Johnson was 20 from Philadelphia and also convicted of manslaughter. Hmm. So. Manslaughter is you killed somebody. Yeah, I think the official charge of manslaughter is like you killed someone, but it was not premeditated and it wasn't intentional. It was kind of like an accident. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Yeah. I am beginning to realize exactly how little I know about the justice (laughs) system. Yeah, I don't think anyone really understands the justice system. There, I mean, there's got to be people out there that do, but I am definitely not one of them. Yeah. I'm like, they make I, it really difficult, I feel like. I feel like they do, yeah. yeah like, but I'm like, I watched Bones and Castle. <laughs> I didn't watch either of those, so <laughs> you're doing better than I am. I don't know how real they are. I mean, I know they're fiction, but I don't know how much of the, the like how much jail stuff yeah, was like, realistic. Yeah. In 1832, inmate number 94... William Hamilton was the first to escape by lowering himself from the roof of the main building. He was recaptured and then tried to escape the same exact way five years later. How did he get to the roof? I don't know. (laughs) I have so many questions, but... So many questions. Obviously wasn't very good at getting away. Obviously. In 1854, Eastern State hired its first full-time school teacher. I'm not really sure why I put that in there. I just felt like it was important. Now, there were not any minors in this penitentiary. Not to my knowledge. Okay. um, But I don't know for sure. All right. But I feel it's kind of like they have teachers in in prisons now for, like, higher education. Yeah, I I was kind of trying to figure out if that was what this was, the same kind of situation. I I just felt like that was very, it was a lot earlier than I expected America to have an educator in a prison system. I mean, there's this whole society like that's fighting for the wellness of these inmates, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, it does. In January of 1924, the prisoners ate in a group dining hall for the first time instead of individually in their cells, and they did this as a morale building factor, and on Sundays and holidays, they were provided with tablecloths. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, did the facility have a 
I the way you were talking about it before, I didn't think it had a dining hall. It didn't. I think they ended up like creating one sometime between. Okay, that makes sense. Building and nineteen twenty four, because at some point all of this falls apart. <laughs> oh, that's true. I forgot we were going to get to the reality of it. We are in August on August twelfth of nineteen twenty four. Governor Gifford Pinchot, I believe it's Pinchot, sentences Pep, the cat-murdering dog, to life at Eastern State Penitentiary. A dog? Like a, a legit dog? Like a legit dog. Um, he has a mugshot and everything. Uh, this feels like now we're starting to make a farce of our penitentiary system. His mugshot shows that he is prisoner number 2559. I'm going to post pictures. I would like to see a picture of that. He looks like a hardened criminal. Like if a dog could look like a hardened criminal, Pep looks like a hardened criminal. <laughs> No, wait, for real? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Maybe they're not making a farce <laughs> out of this. It's just one of those things where like, I feel like it's hard to take a place seriously. Like, So there's two different stories about how he ended up there. So it was the governor that sentenced him. So the first story goes that Pep allegedly attacked and killed the governor's wife's cat, who she loved very much. Okay. Um, I could see the governor needing to take some action in that case. I could too. However, I think the second story is probably more likely. The second story is that the governor donated his own dog to the prison to increase morale amongst the prisoners. Aww. Which is kind of cute. It's sweet. I like that one. I'm and then to like one. just kind of go through the motions of like, oh, let's give him a mugshot and like, that's, right. Well, that's yeah. kinda, I can't wait to see this hardened criminal dog photo right. though. It's, when I ever saw that picture, I was like, I see it. <laughs> I definitely see it. Oh, now I'm excited to see it. <laughs> yeah. We'll post pictures. Like I said, he looks like a good boy. <laughs> so while all of the plans for eastern state and some of the early history seemed like a turning point for the prison systems in america as the saying goes the road to hell is paved with good intentions oh no Um, which is something i found myself saying in my personal life recently but we'll talk about that at lunch (laughs) (laughs) oh no so by the time the third cell block was built the prison was dealing with overcrowding It couldn't maintain the isolation model, although the solitary system wasn't officially ended until 1913. So I have a question. Yes. And this comes from some of the other episodes that we've talked about and researched with uh, psychiatric hospitals. Mm -hmm. Were these kind of, I don't know if you came across it in your research, but is this overcrowding kind of of a similar thing where there are some people who are being sent to the penitentiary for reasons that are like not I don't want to say like less than solid reasons but things like we kind of don't know where to put this person or what to do with them like or was there just like a humongous influx of crime I didn't come across it I have a feeling it was probably both just because that makes sense for the time yeah because it reminds me like of these kind of uh, psychiatric asylums that we had been talking about in other episodes where like they open and super quickly they're like completely overcrowded yeah. and understaffed. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened here. I don't know whether it was just an influx of, you know, poor decision making on citizens parts or if they just had people that they didn't know where to put. It was I mean, also it could just crime. be that there was like a lot of crime because at that point Philadelphia, I mean, Philadelphia, Philadelphia is still a large city. So it like is. it could just be a lot of crime too. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what it was, but Anyway, it sorry, that was like way. a little segue. I just, I didn't know if you had come across it in your research because I know that was kind of a big thing that was emphasized in a lot of the psychiatric mm-hmm. hospital research was that like not everybody actually needed to be there. Sometimes it was just 
we have people we don't know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think part of it was, I don't think it was as big a part as it was in like the institutions. I think institutions are a little more like wishy-washy on reasons you can admit people, whereas the penitentiary probably is a bit more hard and fast. Yeah. Like you have to be like sentenced there by a judge. Mm. You can't just be like committed there because your family wants to commit you. Yes, exactly. But anyway... In the end, there ended up being 15 cell blocks constructed instead of seven. And 12 of the 15 cell blocks were two or three stories instead of the initially proposed one-story blocks. So, like, we went from being one size to, like, more than tripling, yes. it sounds like. Yes. I'll post pictures again online, but you can kind of see in, like, the more recent pictures where they're kind of just cramming in like cell blocks wherever they can fit them like it doesn't the, like the rhyme, rhyme and reason, reason has like gone off the window yeah like it's still radial but like you can definitely tell that like it was not planned that way and when you say more modern pictures is this place still active today no it's still oh, standing okay. but it's not active standing but not active okay I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that there's, was the case, you should have led with that. I know. No, there's um, there's actually some pretty like cool things going on there now. That oh, cool. I'll talk about it. I'm end. so excited. I, I mean, I'm are. already excited. This is kind of, I feel like I'm learning a lot, and this is a lot more interesting than, hey, I'm going to talk about a prison. This was so much more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, look, a spooky old prison. Uh, let's, let's just look at that. And then I just went way off. It sounds like a fun rabbit hole. <laughs> it was. So the original cell blocks had the high ceilings that like mimic those of a church as well. The, like the big vaulted ceilings you talked about? Yep. The construction of cell block 12, they abandoned this design. They no longer did the vaulted ceilings or the skylights or any of that. <laughs> Blocks 12 through 15 had just the standard ceilings. They replaced the skylight with like a single narrow window. Guards abandoned the self-reflection and rehabilitation model, replacing it with the torture and physical punishment that aligned with the practices of other institutions around that time. But we still have the name penitentiary. But we still have the name penitentiary. Okay. We are no longer a penitentiary. (laughs) So some popular punishments for the Eastern State Penitentiary were soaking prisoners in cold water and leaving them outside in the winter until ice formed on their skin. Oh my goodness. Chaining their tongues to their wrists in a way that caused tearing if there was any struggling, which like... That's like horrifying. Thinking about This is like totally the opposite of what that society was going for. Exactly. They would tightly strap prisoners to a chair that they called the mad chair to the point of cutting off circulation and they would leave them there for days. Oh my goodness. Or they would throw them in the hole. I feel like that's still like a, I don't know if they actually still do that, but I feel like if you watch like crime television shows, that's still like a thing they talk about. I think this is where that came from. This is like the beginning. Because I think when nowadays when they're talking about the hole, they're talking about solitary confinement. Correct. But in this case, the hole was reserved for the worst behaved prisoners, similar to today's solitary confinement, except this was a secret underground cell block built under block 14, and the prisoners that were subjected to the punishment would be kept down there with no light, minimal human contact, and were given barely any food or water for up to two weeks. Oh my goodness. So I think that's kind of where like the hole came from. The the idea of like the hole, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. But now we have like rules and regulations. We went to like, we went from like, this is gonna be a place where People are isolated but can think about the things that they've done to just, like, straight up inhumane treatment of people. Yes. Yeah. Yep. See, I told you. Differs. 
This started out sounding like a weirdly nice penitentiary. and Well, if it was, we wouldn't be talking about it here. I guess that's true. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Talks of closing the prison began in 1945 when a group of 12 inmates escaped through a tunnel that they dug, but it wasn't officially closed until January of 1970. So that's wow. like... Wow. That's like way more recent than I would have thought you were going to say. Yes. So that's talking about it for, what is that, 25 years? Before they actually closed it? That's crazy. Which I'm not entirely surprised. I feel like anything, that's kind of another one that, I mean, I know there are definitely some correlations between prisons and, like, institutions, psychiatric institutions from the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like that's kind of a thing, right? Like, you can't just, okay, we're going to close. What are you going to do with all the people you have? You know what I mean? So I'm not surprised that it took, I mean, two decades, maybe a long time. But I'm not surprised it took some time between when they decided they were going to close and when they actually did. Later on in the year of 1970, it was reopened to house some prisoners from Holmesburg's county prison during a restoration period after they rioted. So in Holmesburg County, there was a riot, and I guess they had some things they had to fix, and they needed to put the inmates somewhere, so they sent them back to Eastern State. Just because the facility was, like, still there kind of thing? Yeah, it was there, and it had, like, recently been abandoned, so it was still kind of in working order. Once they were transferred back, Eastern State sat pretty much empty and abandoned from 1971 until 1988. Oh my goodness, that's longer than I would have thought. What happened to it in 1988? It's in here. Okay. Okay. I love when you go to look at your notes and you're like, I I didn't put that right where I should have. There were obviously the people that broke in and just wanted to walk around and see what it was all about possibly home to like a few squatters. The last city caretaker, Dan McLeod, was the only person doing any real upkeep on the building or property during the time that it was abandoned. Dan also found a family of stray cats on the property and began feeding them. Oh, that's a cute little fun fact. I know. It ties into one of the things they do. I don't think they're doing it like anymore today, but more recently. But that's the end. I'll tie it in. They were eventually, the cats, were eventually captured and neutered in 1993 to prevent a colony from growing. Understandable. Yep. Forest started to grow in the halls and the cells of the building, basically like an urban jungle. Kind of nature reclaiming the space. I believe it's mostly been cleared out by now. Well, because you said they're using it now, so you kind of need to take back. Well, I don't know what they're using it for. They technically could have left the urban jungle there. Um, oh my goodness, I'm so intrigued. But I I think it's mostly cleared out from some of the pictures I've seen. Um, it doesn't look like it's overgrown anymore, which is kind of sad because I really would have liked to explore that. <laughs> but that's just me. During the time of abandonment, there were many propositions for how to convert the property into something that would serve a purpose. They thought about turning it into a judicial complex or a commercial building. In 1980, the city of Philadelphia bought the building from the state of Pennsylvania for about $400,000, which is like $1.4 million today. Oh, my goodness. And after almost a decade of back and forth trying to figure out what to do with the crumbling penitentiary, they decided to keep it standing as a historical landmark. Oh, okay. I kind of was wondering if that was where it had ended up. That is where it ended up. So next, I want to talk about the famous prisoners and escapists. Cool. Because those are always fun. So I I know you're going to get here. You're going to look at me and you're going to be like, we're getting we're there. We're getting there. Is this Is place haunted? haunted? <laughs> we're getting there. Okay. 
I wanted to go through everything else first. Okay, I just, we've gotten so far, and now my brain's like, who haunts it? I, I want to know. Okay, I, to talk I'll about be patient. The people first. I'm not a patient person. I, it's fine, but we'll get there. So probably the most famous prisoner to spend time in a cell at Eastern State Penitentiary was Alphonse Scarface Capone. The Al Capone. Nice. Chicago's most famous mob boss. Interesting that he was from Chicago, but imprisoned in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that worked out. I mean, maybe he traveled around. Maybe. Um, I don't know really anything about Al Capone, so just that he was a famous mobster. A mobster. Um, what was tax the, fraud. Was it the Valentine's Day massacre? Or some massacre that he ordered. But th- that's not why he ended up here. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if his time here would actually classify as a punishment, but he was incarcerated for eight months between 1929 and 1930. This was his first ever prison sentence for carrying a concealed deadly weapon. Interesting. First ever. I okay. know. I think it was he had like a concealed gun with him at like a movie theater or something. It was it was like a random weird thing. Interesting. Um but his cell was filled with luxurious furniture, oriental rugs, and he was even allowed to have a cabinet radio. So again, what? not a punishment. Once again, <laughs> this jail, this penitentiary is sounding a little bit like a nice apartment complex. <laughs> I mean, uh, until they got to the torturing and right. stuff. Pretty sure that his like mob buddies you know, pulled some strings to get him that stuff. But uh, I wasn't there. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, my gosh. So another notable prisoner was Morris, the rabbi Bulber. He was sent to Eastern State in 1942. He had been convicted of being a leader, or he had been convicted of being a leading member of an arsenic murder ring that was sentenced to life in prison. The ring found mostly women who were willing to kill their husbands to collect on their life insurance policies. Oh my goodness, there was a whole ring for this? Yes, there was a whole ring. 16 members of the ring were eventually convicted of at least 30 deaths between 1932 and 1937. I have never heard of that before. I'm like, my mind's a little blown. Yeah, I had never heard of that either. Um, So that one was interesting to me. So next up, we have William Francis Slick Willie Sutton. He served 11 years there for bank robbery. His prison career consisted of over 50 bank robberies and three successful prison escapes. Oh one of goodness. which was from the Eastern State Penitentiary. He was one of the 12 inmates in 1945 who built that tunnel that started the talks about closing the prison. Okay. So while Willie and most of his accomplices were captured within minutes of exiting the tunnel, there have been four prisoners in the penitentiary's history to have escaped and never been seen again. Was Slick Willie one of them? No, he got caught minutes after escaping. <sighs> slick Willie. Slick Willie. With a name like Slick Willie, you got to be better than this. <laughs> You're not that slick. No, so the first was Bernard Teese. It's T-E-E-S-E. I think that's how you say it. Teese. T-E-E-S-E. Okay. So Bernard, on August 27th of 1838, he had been sentenced to three years for stealing a horse. And at the time of his escape, he was two years into his three-year sentence. Okay. Like, why? Why? You're two-thirds of the way there. Why? Anyway, he was able to get his cell door open and escaped by climbing over the perimeter wall. You know, if he had the opportunity, why not? I guess. Ugh. I mean, don't don't take that advice. That's horrible advice. But <laughs> do not escape prison just because you have the opportunity. Yeah, no. But they most likely will catch you. And I tuck could on see some him years. being like, it doesn't matter that I only have one year left. I have an opportunity to go now. Yeah, but like, it's three years. Like, that's not. It's not even that bad. 
three years. I mean, it sounds like it was. I mean, if they were treating the prisoners like that, I could, why would you subject yourself to another 365 days of that? Fair. Just keep your head down. Don't talk to anybody. Leave everybody alone. Pretend you're in isolation. I was like, I could make prison rules, but I have no idea how, (laughs) how, uh, how they would work in practice. Yeah, no, I don't know. I've never been. So documents such as Bernard's father's will that was drawn up in 1843 also suggest that he never contacted his family members after escaping either, which is probably part of the reason that they never caught him because the first place you would go is your family and that's where the cops are going to go. So he's never been heard or seen from. And I mean, I'm assuming he's dead now, but I mean, this makes it so like, why wait the other year when you could get out and nobody knows where you are? I mean, I know, but like, what are the chances that like you wouldn't get caught? Bernard was pretty confident in them, evidently. I guess he was. And he succeeded. That's Um, nuts, honestly. Like, I'm talking about it like it's impressive, but I'm like, wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, like, I don't know. I guess he didn't, you know, live a life of crime because he wasn't caught. Must have been a one-time thing. Must have. Uh, He stole a horse, so it it doesn't seem like he was too... It wasn't, like, a a crimey crime. I mean, like, it was, but... (laughs) But but stealing something is different than, like, killing somebody. Exactly. Yeah. On November 6th of 1866, Patrick Lafferty escaped. He had been sentenced to 12 years for second-degree murder. He was seven years into his sentence, and he decided to escape. He managed to get his hand on some, like, street clothes, I guess you would call it. Okay. Um, So, like, not prison clothes. And he walked right out the front door. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He just walked out the front door. And the guards were just like, hurry, bye. Security has come a long way. Yes. Wow. He walked out the front door and was never seen again. See, that one's more scary because that was a crimey crime. That was a crimey crime, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what he did after that, but we never saw him again. Didn't get caught again, evidently. Guess not. Timothy Boyle made his escape on December 31st of 1877. I guess that's the first demonstration that I've heard of hashtag New Year, New Me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was not expecting that. That was funnier than it should have been. New year, new me, get now. Um, I don't know. I was writing it and I was like, new year, new me. And then I was like, no, I'm going to put that in there. That's funny. <laughs> I like it. Well done. Yes. Sometimes I'm funny. Not always. So he had also been sentenced to 12 years for second degree murder, but he was only two years in at the time of his escape. So he worked in the prison bakery and managed to get two other bakery workers to help him. He had them conceal him in an empty cask that was supposed to be taken from the bakery on a wagon back to wherever the cask is returned to. When the wagon driver arrived at the destination, he found that the cask was open and empty, suggesting that somewhere along the route, Timothy just jumped off the wagon and ran. That feels like something out of a movie. It does. Mm. Yeah. And then the final inmate to successfully escape and evade capture was Leo Callahan. He was sentenced to 18 to 24 years for assault and battery with intent to kill. In 1923, he and five accomplices planned their escape. They built a ladder, subdued two guards at the east wall, and then used the ladder that they built to climb over the wall. He was the only one of the five not to be recaptured, although... Oh, wow. Yeah. Some of his accomplices did make it pretty far before they were found. One was at the literal opposite end of the country in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, my... Yeah, that's, like, (laughs) as far away as you can possibly get. Um, But he still got caught. But we never found Leo. Interesting. Yep. 
So those are the fun escapes and the fun prisoners. Hmm. I mean, I guess fun, question I mean, mark. It's definitely no Alcatraz, but like... That's not. It's still pretty interesting that in all the time that it was open, only four people managed to escape successfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of people ex- escaped successfully. <laughs> to there not were four be that were not recaptured. recaptured. <laughs> yes, correct. So now we're going to get to your question. Oh, yes. Is it haunted? Is it haunted? I want to know. So if you look online at pictures of the building, it definitely looks haunted. It's creepy and abandoned. Of course it looks haunted. Yes. I drive um, down the street and I'm like, ooh, a creepy abandoned house. Is it haunted? haunted? Although it's not like super abandoned anymore. It serves as... Yes, Jessica, you keep hinting at that and making me have to impatiently wait. I know. I know. It serves as a museum now as well. Okay. Um, it doesn't market itself as like a haunted location. So, so it's not something that like leans into it. Right. So they don't like... No you know. ghost tours and stuff. Yeah, but they definitely lean into the rumors during, like, spooky season. Nice. (laughs) From late September through early November, they hold Halloween nights, which looks like a blast. Oh my gosh, that sounds fun. Visitors and employees have reported hearing otherworldly things. Many see a man standing in the guard tower, even though it's physically impossible to access. It had brick stairs that collapsed, like, a long time ago. So nobody's like climbing up to the guard tower. Yes, yeah, so nobody's spooky. like actually capturing like capturing a glimpse of somebody who like right. went off the tour and walked up the steps, kind of thing. Yeah, because the steps don't exist. Popular sound reports of whispering, giggling, weeping, and footsteps in the cell block. I feel like you wouldn't hear a lot of giggling from inmates in a penitentiary. That's kind of an interesting sound to I hear know. from the location. It's weird. It, I feel it's like creepy. giggling in a haunted house. Like, oh, maybe a child lived there, but like, yeah. Who's giggling in jail? Uh, well, you crazy people. They're different. From a jail, but. <laughs> <laughs> Cell block twelve is said to be home to cackling and echoing voices. Ooh, which like no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. There are shadow figures that take up residence in cell block six. I was wondering if there were going to be shadowy things. Yes, cell block four. No, okay, you don't get the reference. <laughs> For the record, I was just looking at Jess like I was a deer in headlights. What's cell block for? Oh, We're it, talking about like... Um, it's a stupid Chris Rock movie from like the 90s. Oh, okay. I was um, like, is this a... Um, what's, is it Chicago? No. It um, has some cell block tango. Did I make that up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, is that a reference to that? I It was no not idea. a reference okay. to Chicago. It was a reference to the Chris Rock movie that I haven't seen in a very long time, okay. but you didn't get it. Yeah, my brain did not go to Chris Rock. <laughs> That's fine. He had a movie called CB4. It was about him being in jail on cell block four. Got it. Anyway, so cell block four in Eastern State Penitentiary is known to show ghostly faces, which Ooh. just faces. No. I also found some reports of prisoners having spooky experiences. There was... Like while the penitentiary was open and operating yes okay so there was a report from a locksmith that was working on the property also he was opening a cell on block four and he said that as soon as he opened it like opened the door he felt a rush of what he could only describe as spirits escaping oh almost like he had opened a portal with the door which like interesting no thank you but he was obviously like freaked out by it yes he was Al Capone was said to have been terrified when night fell on the penitentiary. He could hear a blood-curdling scream coming from his cell, and he would be begging Jimmy to leave him alone. Weird. Um, so, like, if it scared Al Capone, it must be scary. That's weird, yeah. I think that's, like, my favorite part of the story so far. Yeah. 
There are many popular paranormal investigative shows such as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, BuzzFeed Unsolved, and MTV's Fear that have come out to inspect the property. Ghost Hunters had some evidence that they were able to debunk, but there was a few instances that they could not find scientific explanations for. Interesting. They have a video up on their site of something moving in like a back corner and they couldn't debunk that one. It's it's really short. It's like a three second video, I think. Okay. And I'll link it in the but show But it's like notes. definitely not like a squirrel or a bat or like... No, it's definitely not. So like share your opinion because I'd love to hear it if you watch it. I couldn't think of anything that it could have been. Okay. It was kind of creepy. So what's going on at the penitentiary today? Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting like a whole episode like to find out. The entire episode. So today, as we said, it functions as a museum and a historical society and is open to tours year round. While tours are not a new thing at Eastern State Penitentiary, they have definitely evolved over time. During the early years, while it was still in operation as a penitentiary, it was visited by diplomats and politicians from around the world for its innovative design and new school reform practices. That clearly didn't last very long. (laughs) It had been the intention. It was the intention. Wealthy people would come just to see the building. Authors would come to interview inmates. Photographers flocked to capture, like, the beauty of the architecture inside and out. Is it really that beautiful? I think it is. Cool. After the closure, like, the official closure in 1971, Eastern State sat abandoned for over a decade, leading to deterioration, like we had talked about. And when it reopened in 1988 for limited public tour groups, they realized that it wasn't a super safe place for the public. So it would need some restoration. Yeah. So originally, many blocks were closed off to the public while they figured out what to do with them. And the remaining blocks that were able to be toured were still not very safe. So visitors were required to sign liability waivers and wear hard hats during their tours. Oh, and the liability waivers were not retired until 2008. Oh, wow. That's like way more recent than I would have thought. Yes. Current visits include options for staff-guided tours or self-guided audio tours. And the audio tour is narrated mainly by Steve Buscemi with input from past employees. That's awesome. That's like the most amazing (laughs) thing I've ever heard. I would love to hear Steve Buscemi talk to me about an old prison. (laughs) They also have a scavenger hunt available for children. So I guess they're trying to make it like a family fun really. Hey kids. Hey kids. Let's go to a scavenger hunt in an old haunted prison. <laughs> All right. Some cells have been restored and decorated to show what they would have looked like while they were in operation. Um, I would expect that if it's like a museum now. That yeah. makes sense. But there are other cells that have kind of been left to deteriorate with time. So you can kind of see like the evolution of like what it was to what it is now. Nice. So that's kind of cool. They also hold special events. It's home to art installations, art exhibits, and the Big Graph. Are you going to tell us what the Big Graph is? I am. The Big Graph is actually really cool. Okay, cool. (laughs) So there are currently 16 installations within the building. One past installation that I thought was really neat is the one that ties back to Dan McLeod and his cats. Okay. It was called Ghost Cats. And it was an installation through the guided tour area of cat statues that represented the family of cats that Dan McLeod took care of. Okay. Um, The material that the artist used to create the cats was designed to deteriorate over time as the cat family population did after being neutered. Okay. So it was like purposely art that over time destroys itself. Yes. Okay. The big graph is also a pretty interesting idea. It's a large sculpture on the penitentiary's old baseball field. 
and it records the statistics about the American justice system. Oh, interesting. So three out of the four sides of the graph are separate statistics. One shows the increase of incarceration rates in Americans from 1900 through now. Another shows the racial breakdown of American prisoners in 1970 versus today. And the third graph is a global graph showing the country's breakdown of imprisonment rates and policies about the death penalty. Interesting. It sounds like a very political piece of art. It, it is. Another cool thing about this graph, though, is that it's been designed to be updated through 2030. So it'll kind of track it for the future as well as the past. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. That's cool. Like, as an art installation, I mean, it's really, I'm sure the statistics that it's showing are really depressing. But I'm sure they are. That's kind of a really neat art installation, especially to put in an old penitentiary. Right. But guess what? What? We're going to go see it. What? We're going to go see it. Okay. All right. In November. We're going to go see it. Cool. Awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. Yay. I was excited, too. Also, it is about a mile away from the Mütter Museum. Oh, cool. Are we making a weekend out of it? Yes, we are. Nice. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm so excited now. I I mean, I was already excited just while you were talking about it. So that's pretty much all I have on the penitentiary. But I'm going to wrap up with some fun facts. Cool. Because there's lots of those. It does seem like there are like, like, it's kind of weird to be excited about things about a prison. (laughs) Especially to know that so many people were treated so terribly there. But it really is kind of fascinating, too. I think it's like a subject I don't know much about. So like every fun fact, you're like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, I want to know. I want to know. I know. But no, these are like super fun facts. All right. Um, So Eastern State Penitentiary has been the inspiration for and the filming location of an episode of Cold Case. It was one of the inspirations for the PlayStation 2 game, The Suffering. The prison has also been used for music videos by a Philadelphia punk band called The Dead Milkmen. And it has also been a filming location for Tina Turner in one of her videos. Cool. Um, Eastern State has been a filming location for many movies, such as 12 Monkeys, Return to Paradise, Animal Factory, which was directed by tour guide Steve Buscemi, (laughs) and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Interesting. I've never seen any of those. I haven't either. Not only has the location been used for inspiration and filming, but the band Southwark used it in 2012 as a recording studio to record the soundtrack for the 2013 movie Alpha Girls, which have never heard of, never seen, looked it up. Looks like one of those stupid, cheesy horror comedies okay. um, that I say we find and watch on our weekend in Philadelphia. Sounds good to me. I'm like, now I'm like, ooh, are there good acoustics in the penitentiary? Like, I mean, I guess they recorded a whole soundtrack interesting. there. Interesting. But that's all I have on Eastern State. Cool. It was fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. It was really fun. And I'm excited. I can't wait to go see it. I wonder if we'll get more information. We'll have to do like a, if we learn something new, we'll have to do like an update episode and be like, check out this cool new stuff we learned. I know. Cool. Oh, man. I'm so excited. Me too. Thanks. And thank you for telling us about it because this was a really interesting penitentiary that I don't think I ever would have, I didn't know it was haunted. I'd never heard of it. So yeah, no, it definitely looks haunted. I mean, there's like those creepy stories out there, but because I feel like because the museum like doesn't play it up as haunted with the stories, you kind of have to find like elsewhere. It kind of reminded me of the haunted lighthouse that we went and saw on Black Island. Yes. Where, like you could go and you could tour it and there's like occasionally a note that like, well, this is supposedly haunted, but like the place itself is not talking about it yeah. being haunted. 
yeah, it's like one of those kind of things. Cool. Um, but I still thought like the history of it at least was really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's all I got for cool. today, I'm guys. I'm excited to see all this architecture. I know. Awesome. All right. And the well, Mooder Museum. And the Mooder Museum. I know. Things we've talked about. I think very cool. All right. Well, thank you for all that cool information and now my new vacation information. You're so welcome. Uh, during episode three of season three of Myth and Macabre. And we will be back next week for some more fun spooky stuff. Can't wait. Me either. <laughs> Bye.